this opening chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Might be one of the most theologically packed chapters in the New Testament. Verses 3 through 14 are actually only one sentence in Greek. It's the longest sentence in the New Testament. But we're going to look at verses 11 through 14, especially under the theme of our inheritance in Christ. We'll begin our reading back at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There ends a reading of God's holy word. Once again, our text is verses 11 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a practice at Rehoboth where I pastor that when somebody makes profession of faith, the council gives them a small gift. It's usually a book, maybe a devotional. And we inscribe on the front cover um, a text of scripture and the pastor signs it and it's, it's designed to be a keepsake a memory and each time the person will open that devotional or that book or, or look at that they'll remember that they stood before God and his people and they made a promise to walk in fellowship with him it's a reminder and maybe you have that in your own family as well that maybe grandma or grandpa have given you something a tool, a bowl, a plate, something which is seemingly insignificant, but because of who gave it to you, it's special. We have that in our home. Applesauce goes in a particular bowl. It's from great-grandma who's now passed away. 
That's the only thing we use it for. It's a nice memory. What we speak about this morning is receiving something of great import. But it's going to be greater than receiving a hand-me-down Christmas tree or, or bowl or car or something like that. It's an inheritance. Now, boys and girls, what we mean by inheritance, oftentimes today, is that this is something that's given down from one generation to the next. It could be land. Maybe you inherit a farm. It could be money. It could be legacy that one generation leaves behind for the next. For instance, if someone passes away who has $1 million, the money is then usually divided among the children. That money the children receive is called an inheritance. As with many of the things in Ephesians chapter 1, and Ephesians 1 is packed full of these truths, but all of these things that, that are explained in Ephesians 1, our adoption in Him, our predestination in Him, redemption through His blood, none of these things are earned. They're given by grace. Ephesians 1 declares the grace of God. And the reason why these things are received isn't because we've worked for them or we've earned them, but they're connected to a relationship, an association. The children of someone named John Smith receive an inheritance only because they're his children, only because their name is Smith. The inheritance that our text is speaking about this morning is given from God to his children. But what we must ask ourselves as his children is how do we know that we'll receive it? And how do we know that in receiving it we will not squander it? That happens once in a while with an inheritance. Give an inheritance to somebody who's too immature or too young or whatever the situation, they waste it, they squander it. How do we know that we'll have the right last name to receive this inheritance? Well, the answers to these questions we see in a, this beautiful text this morning. And so our theme is, we are graciously sealed to receive an everlasting inheritance. We are graciously sealed. That means guaranteed. We're graciously sealed to receive an everlasting inheritance. First, we'll see the inheritance itself. Second, the means to receive it. And then third, the guarantee of its security. So first, the inheritance itself. What is this inheritance? If you look back at our text, it begins with this very, very important phrase. It's not very long, but it's very important, and it's in Him. And if you kind of scan back in your, in your Bible at these opening verses of Ephesians chapter 1, we see a lot of this in Him. It's the language of movement. We also see the language of in love, which frankly means the same thing. We see in him here in verse 11, in him. We see it again, the same phrase is repeated twice more in verse 13. In him you also, you believed in him. Well, who's the him? Our inheritance is in Jesus Christ. Our life is in Jesus Christ. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. 
if you seek to live eternal life in glory with the Lord, it will only be because of your identity in Him. It will make all the difference in the world. Because if you're not in Him, then you're in self. You still are your own. You still belong to yourself, or so it seems. But when you were in Him, you were altogether different. Our inheritance is in Christ. So what is it? Verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now does that mean then that our, our inheritance is predestination? Yes, in part it is. But more specifically, it's all of the things that are included in these opening verses of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. It lays out this glory and inheritance that is in store. It is election. It is redemption. It is adoption as sons. It is being accepted in the beloved. It is the revelation of the mystery of Christ's ongoing work. All of this is our inheritance And one thing you notice about those things, this inheritance, it's not gold or silver. Fire cannot destroy it. Moths cannot eat it. It cannot be stolen. This is our inheritance. Christ gives us all these things. But why? Why in Him? Why is it Jesus Christ? Well, boys and girls, you know why. It's Christ. What did Jesus do? He lived and died for us. It's connected to his suffering, to his death, to his burial, and then his exaltation. And it will be finally be fulfilled in his second coming. Right? We, we confess this work of Christ, that he was conceived, born, suffered, crucified, died, buried, descended to hell all of the humiliation of Christ, but then rose again, ascended, sat down at God's right hand. That's all happened. But there's still something that hasn't happened. What is it in the Apostles' Creed? He will come again to judge the living and the dead. On that day, the inheritance that is promised, the inheritance that is guaranteed and secured through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit will be fully realized? That's a question we're going to have to answer as we work through this text. Don't we have it now? How will it be fully realized? God has had this inheritance in mind for us from before the foundation of the world. Verse 11 mentions predestination. That was already mentioned back in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption. He repeats it. Why, why the repeating of these things? To remind us. We're forgetful people. To remind us of what he has done. God who chose us. He didn't do that because we asked him to. God did not choose us or call us because he saw that we would believe. But by the counsel of his will, according to his sovereign grace, that he might call a people who are not his people. To be his people. 
that he might make orphans his sons and daughters. This is God's purpose and plan for his people. Our text says, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. God knows what we do not know. In fact, we are oftentimes left wondering why certain things happen. Isn't this the question of the child of God in the midst of so much difficulty? But why? Why this now, God? Why in this way? God knows all that's going on, correct? Why is it then the case that so many bad things happen to Christians? Why do we receive the same difficulties as unbelievers? Or sometimes even worse? Don't we ask these questions when our loved ones become ill? How can it happen that someone in a church could cause so much strife or turmoil? Why do some covenant children pass away before they could even walk or talk? Or even worse, they grow up and they turn their back to the truth. And they leave the church. Why does so much immense pain take place? Why? Our text says, Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. There are, any, there are many different answers to these questions. Many of them are not the right answer. They do not satisfy. They're of little comfort or consolation. Well, God, is, God lets it happen. God doesn't want it to happen, but it just happens. And people explain that God is a weak God. That's not comforting at all. That's not comforting when you're standing next to the grave of your loved one. But this is the question the children of God have asked time and again throughout covenant history. You know, I think these types of questions were on the mind of Job. He struggled with these questions. Or, or how David, when his own son was trying to take his life, asked why? We know he asked why. He wrote it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Psalter. And then when his son Absalom dies, he weeps for him. And yet we recognize, as we, as we read Ephesians 1 verse 11, that this God who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we do not have a full grasp of what the counsel of his will is. We cannot see our vision is limited. We're human beings. We cannot see the full counsel of God's will. And so we must receive it in grace. It's not wrong to ask these questions. God did not punish his children who asked these questions when David cried out, How long? That was not a wrong question to ask. When Jeremiah wept, that was not wrong. Our Lord Jesus Christ wept when his own friend Lazarus died, even though Jesus was about to raise him from the dead. Jesus wept because it hurt. It hurt. It grieved his soul. 
That's what God's word says. And so we struggle with the question of evil. Does it seem evil that our loved ones die? To be sure, it brings great sorrow to our hearts, but evil. You see, congregation, the world might mean it for evil, but God means it for good. Think about this in terms of your inheritance. Was the cross evil? You think your inheritance being made possible by Jesus Christ was wrong? He was innocent, yet died on the cross. He did the will of of the Father. Imagine someone you know who's innocent of a crime but declared guilty and then punished for it. We'd say that is a complete injustice and we would not be wrong. We must be reminded, congregation, that our ways are not God's ways. We bow our heads in prayer, not my will, but your will be done. God is a God of sovereign providence. We confess that God upholds all things with his hand, a leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty. All things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Nevertheless, as we ask this question, we don't ask it from simply a a theoretical or a stoic perspective or even a fatalistic perspective. Whatever will be, will be. Not my will, but God's will. This would not be a comforting teaching that all things happen according to the counsel of His will. If you did not know you're standing before Almighty God, How do you know God will work all things for good? How do you know that God's purpose behind this is for good and not for evil? It's because of the inheritance. That when God sets His love, His saving love upon sinners, then they have in God, in Jesus Christ, everything. Everything, including a new identity. God tells us this in our baptisms. Beloved, it cost the life of the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, in order that we might receive an inheritance. An inheritance that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. The glory of the wonder of such an eternal bliss. Our inheritance only begins in this world. We're going somewhere. The Christian life can be described as a pilgrimage. This is not our ultimate home. God calls us here. We are to be busy here, but we are pilgrims passing through. Sometimes we encounter dangers, hurts, any type of undesirable circumstance. But remember, our path is set. Our way is secure. The race is planned out for us. Our inheritance is eternal. So how do we receive this inheritance? 
That's what we see secondly, the means to receive. Look at verses 12 and 13. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. That probably initially is a reference to the Jewish people. They were the first ones to hope in Christ. The apostles, the early apostles were Jewish people. In him, verse 13, you also, now Gentiles, that's, that's the first understanding of that. It's not the only one. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In verse 12, we have this beautiful concept of hope. The first to hope. It's another word for faith. It's another word for faith. It, it is a trust in God in the present with an eagerness to see the fulfillment in the future. The hope, just like faith, is in Christ, is in Him, is in the Beloved. The hope in Christ in verse 12, or believing in Him in verse 13, is built upon a trust. The connection here in verse 13 is so extremely important. You don't believe because the minister tells you to believe. No, you heard the word of truth. When you heard the word of truth, the word of truth are not the 12 steps to financial security. Or the eight ways to get physically fit in 2023 or something like that. It's the gospel of your salvation. This is what you heard and believed in him. See the connection of verse 13. See all the action words in verse 13. Boys and girls, we don't have to diagram this, but you know what an action word is. You know what a verb is. What's happening in verse 13? You heard... That's an act of hearing the gospel of your salvation. You believed, you trusted that very thing which you heard. You were sealed. That's passive, right? You didn't seal. You were sealed. Something acted upon you. It's the Holy Spirit. You heard it, you believed it, and you were sealed in it. This is the work of God. How does this happen? By faith. By faith. In order to trust God, we must give up trust in self. Oftentimes that's easier said than done. We want to place our trust in things we can see. If we become ill, we'd rather place our trust in doctors or surgeons rather than God. But why? Because we often, not always, but we often fail to see that God works through means, through ways. It's the same mentality some have for the tools and means God gives to us to grow in our faith. This is that time of the year where people make New Year's resolutions. Maybe you've made some New Year's resolutions. You're going to do this more, do this less. 
gyms are full now. People have committed to, yeah, I'm, this is the year, 2023 is the year I'm going to exercise. Good. I want to discourage you that most resolutions are broken within three weeks. Probably getting close to that point. But resolutions can be good if people take them seriously. How about a resolution to grow in your faith? How about a resolution to grow in your faith? I've always found it fascinating as a pastor. We have the practice, I think you have the same practice here, where, where the elders go house to house, a house visitation, annual house bazook. And then the elders report back something. Yes, the family's doing well, and so-and-so is growing in their faith. Usually a comment or two about the preaching. Okay, good. Sometimes people say, I'm not growing in my faith. Well, growing in faith is not automatic. You don't get in shape by wanting to get in shape. You don't get toned and strong by, by thinking hard about it. Yeah, I'm bench pressing right now in my mind, and I'm, I'm eating healthy. That doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way spiritually as well. You don't become spiritually stronger through osmosis. You don't even become spiritually stronger by simply coming to church, to sitting in worship, or sitting under the preaching of the Word. It's a spiritual reality of faith, of taking that which you hear and taking it to your heart. But this doesn't happen two hours a week. Wherever long you're in worship. Oh, God gives us the very tools, the very means to, to grow. Primarily through the preaching and the sacraments. Supplemented by the reading of the word. Being in prayer, serving in the name of Jesus Christ. There are many helpful Christian disciplines. But if you don't heed them, if you think at the beginning of the year, yeah, I want to grow in my faith. And then the elders come in a couple of months and be like, how's your devotional life? <sighs> not good. Not good. I just don't pray enough and I'm not in the Word enough. And I'm... What are they to say? They grab you by the shirt collar? Stop being lazy? I, a parent might be able to say that to a child. Elder says that to somebody. They shouldn't grab him by the shirt collar, but... Stop being spiritually lazy? Well, what gives him the right to say such a thing? In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, God gives us the means. Trusting in God involves trusting also in the very means God provides. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, it's from hearing that knowledge comes. It's through the preaching of the word of God that God in his wisdom has ordained faith to take place. Could God have ordained a different way? Of course he could have, but he didn't. There's something unique taking place in the preaching of the gospel. It doesn't happen anywhere else. There's not another thing that happens in your life that's called a means of grace. He said the preaching of the sacraments.
but through the preaching. Paul would have preached this message to the Ephesians. To be sure, there are spiritual disciplines. As a family, commit this year to, to growing in the, in the Lord. Do instead of when you read the Bible at supper time, don't just close it then. But maybe as a, as a father, think about two or three questions that maybe you could bring before your children and have a discussion about. And get in the habit of discussing the Word or of teaching the Word. Assign somebody else to pray. Ask for prayer requests. All of these, these ways of growing in a devotional life as a family are good. Pray, pray to the Lord about it. But paramount in it all is the preaching of the Word. The preaching of the Word. It might be the greatest gift you give to your children. Right? You, you promise that when you present your child for baptism. That you will cause your child to be instructed therein in the aforesaid doctrine. What's that mean? First, it means bring them to worship. But don't physically bring them there, sit them down, and then bring them home. Teach them through it. Prepare for it. How do you spend your Saturday evenings or Sunday mornings preparing for the worship? Well, it's busy. It's busy with children. It's busy with families. And maybe the car ride to worship might not be the most edifying time. Or brother or sister are resting in the back of the van, and mom and dad are all frustrated by the time they get to worship. Now they have to sit down and, and refocus. That's the reality of our lives at this point. Ask the Lord for help. Make sure your children know that this is special. This is different. You're not going to school today. Something far weightier is going to take place. We're going to meet with God in a way that we do not meet with God any other time in the week. We're going to sit under his word. There's so many options the world might give to us of ways to be successful, ways to be nourished, even spiritually nourished, yoga, meditation. It comes primarily through the preaching of the word. We cannot even begin to dig into the depths of God's word. There are some here that have studied the Bible for a long, long time, 70 years, 80 years, and yet you open the Word and you dig into the Word and you, you still mine glorious gems that you have never seen before. How does that happen? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. May the Gospel, may the good news of Jesus Christ grab hold of us. May we each week live Lord's Day to Lord's Day growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. May we have the longing, the desire more and more to grow in grace, to grow in our love and devotion to our Savior. It's through, as verse 13 says, the hearing, the believing, trusting the word, the gospel, that God gives us this inheritance. 
Well, let's look thirdly at the guarantee or the security of the inheritance. At the end of verse 13 and in verse 14, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. It is the promised Holy Spirit that is the guarantee of our inheritance. Verse 13 says that He seals to us. Realize the seal is used to validate something. It's like a ring of a king pressing onto wax. It's not, not the animal seal. It's an insignia. It's a unique promise. It's a guarantee. The Holy Spirit seals this to us. Well, when does he do that? Well, there is certainly a reference here to baptism. In the Old Testament, circumcision was the seal God ordained to sanctify his people to set them apart from the other nations around them. In the New Testament, baptism has taken its place. But this is referring to something beyond the mere physical baptismal rite that's being received. Because boys and girls, you've, you've all been baptized. And as you grow older and as you make decisions for yourself and, and you take your faith as your own, you grab hold of your baptism, you're coming into maturity. You can't simply just ride on the coattails of mom and dad forever. It's what's properly known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of those who have true faith have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You can see in our text such a close tie between believing and this seal. In verse 13, you believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That is a connection, the believing and the sealing, that is perfectly, intimately secured. When you believe, you are sealed. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit when we believe. When this happens, our inheritance is guaranteed, as it says in verse 14. This technically, in the original language, refers to a down payment being made. Since the down payment is made, we're guaranteed full payment in the future. But we might think, well, you know, they... You could put a down payment on something and then, then renege on it. Put a down payment on a car and walk away from your responsibilities. Put a down payment on your house and never actually pay a dollar of your mortgage. You're going to lose your house. You could guarantee something. You could, right? Right, 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 on the, right on the back label. There it is. Guaranteed. This, this will last for at least seven years. But you know what happens in four years? That business goes out of... or that. The company goes out of business. Now who guarantees it? Nobody. What if it breaks? Too bad. How do we know that this guarantee, this promise, this down payment will not be taken back? It's because it's paid, given by God himself. To himself. It's the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. This goes way back to before the foundations of the world. 
and the covenant of redemption with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee until the time when it's paid in full. So then we might ask the question, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Does that mean that we don't yet have it? Could sound like that, like this is, this is a future aspect. No, we have it. We have the inheritance now, brothers and sisters, but we only have it in part. We only have it in part. The full is yet coming. If your Bible's open, turn over to Romans chapter 8, verse 30, a well-known verse, but it's a very important part of it. Romans 8, verse 30. This glorious chain of salvation. You know, this, this end part of Romans chapter 8, God's glorious promise. Verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And then verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, the final one, glorification, has not yet happened. And yet, it speaks of it in the past. Predestined called, justified, glorified. It's so secure, it's so guaranteed, it's as as if it has already happened because it's already been secured. But glorification comes at the very end, the final judgment. On that day, the child of God will be vindicated. Even though our consciences will be laid bare, we'll be covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. Believers are those who are called to live in this time with an eagerness and watchfulness unto the coming of Jesus Christ. When only one of those two things is focused upon, only living now or only waiting for Jesus Christ, things get skewed. We do both. We live in the already here, experiencing the inheritance, but yet not yet in its fullness. We still wait and pray and long for that which is to come. Nevertheless, we have it now already, yet not in its fullness. And here we find ourselves once again in our Father's arms as His purchased possession, purchased with the blood of the Lamb. This happens for the praise of God's glory. And He ends this section to the praise of His glory, the same way He began it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the praise of God. And so as we reflect in conclusion now on Ephesians 1, these verses dealing with an inheritance, the obvious question before us is, is this your inheritance? Is this yet waiting for you? Have you believed? Do you trust? Have you grabbed hold of that which has been promised to you? Even in your baptisms, young people. That which has been promised, I will be your God and you will be my people. 
Have you grabbed hold of that? So the inheritance isn't merely passed down covenantally from parent to child. Praise God for that relationship. But that it is possessed by you through faith. That your baptism is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Have you believed the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation? If not, turn and trust in the Lord. Give up self-trust and look to him. Today is the day of salvation. This is the amazing and gracious plan of God to redeem for himself a people. For those who are trusting, know and be assured that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's no possibility of losing this inheritance, of squandering the inheritance, or any other possibility. The inheritance is secured because it's secured by God himself, sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is not like an earthly inheritance. It can be stolen, lost, squandered, The will could be at the lawyer's office and the office burned down and it's gone forever. No. This is a heavenly inheritance. This is an eternal inheritance. And so let this be the wonderful balm of our soul. The song that our heart sings. We sing it with the church of all ages into eternity. And so let us do that. And let us praise this God for His glory for what we have in him. Amen.